0: Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness. Great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? This is Gretchen Gagel, and I am so excited today to welcome Dr. Alyssa Westring, professor at DePaul and author of Parents Who Lead to the Greatness podcast. Welcome, Alyssa.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I stumbled across your work. You and I share a passion about um, parenting and leading and juggling parenting and working and creating kind of the best version of ourselves in all mm-hmm. aspects of our life, which I found your work really fascinating. And before we dig into that, I would love to learn a little bit more about your journey. How did you become so passionate about parenting, leading, etc.?
1: So, This journey started long before I had kids, and I was an undergrad, and I was really trying to figure out what I was going to do with my own life, what I was going to do for my career, and how that, you know, my career ambitions would fit with my personal life goals. And I looked around me, and my colleagues, especially the women who I was in classes with, were also worried about the exact same thing. So, rather than just, you know, cross my fingers and Hope that it would all work out. I decided to really dive into it as an area of study. And I found a field called organizational psychology, which looks into the psychology of people in the workplace. And I realized that this could be a really good uh, avenue for me to do research and answer questions that would directly help people making work and life decisions. So I went straight from undergrad into grad school studying that topic, and I started out focusing on medical students and how they made their choice of medical specialty, especially focused on how did they weigh in any hypothetical family or work um, values or responsibilities or potential children, potential marriage into their decisions while they were in school And that led to several years doing research on women in medicine and women in STEM careers. And then a few years ago, my colleague Stu Friedman came to me and asked if I wanted to write a book about working parents and for working parents. And he and I have been working together for many years on his organization called Total Leadership, which helps people, regardless of whether they're parents or not, create greater harmony um, between the different parts of life. But then we really wanted to take those same ideas and apply them to the specific case of working parents. So we spent three years researching, writing, working with dual career couples to create the book, Parents Who Lead, that you mentioned. And then it launched in March of 2020, which, you know, For most parents, we'll we'll remember that as a time of real crisis for us when schools shut down and we were forced to do our jobs and as well as basically teach our kids or at least help facilitate their education on Zoom or however they were doing it. So... Throughout the past year, I've been speaking and writing and, and working with working parents, trying to make sense of all of this, and then living it myself with two kids in the house who were in remote school for well over a year before just going back a few weeks ago. So it's been a really interesting journey, uh, but one that I had my sights set on before I had any of the work or the parenting in place.
0: Wow. You were so far ahead of me. When I came out of engineering school. Um, I can honestly say that it hadn't even crossed my mind yet what this journey was going to look like. Um, But then having two kids 13 months apart flying every week, I think I flew 100,000 miles domestically the year I had my son and had my daughter 13 months later and was just thrown (laughs) into this chaos of um, what it was like to be a working mom and it, and it's not just moms it's interesting you you know you use the term parents i wrote the book 8 steps to being a great working mom because of a little bit of a gender lens i work in construction i have very funny stories about the the things that people said to me like oh my gosh you know you travel every week who watches your kids which they wouldn't necessarily say that to a man and i started answering right. You know, I put them in the trunk of my car with a little food and water at the airport. And so far, it seems to be working <laughs> out just fine. But good answer. Is, is, so I, I wrote it with a little bit of a gender lens and interviewed 25 women. But the fact that you started researching this so early in your career and thought process is really amazing. So tell us a little bit, parents who lead, um, three years highly researched, and I have such regard for this. And you talk about harnessing the power of leadership principles and th- and and thrive in all aspects of your life, which is what I just really love about your message. What were some of the key things you learned in this journey of putting the book together?
1: So the the general concept of the book and of the work I've been doing for many years is that you can take what we already know from decades and decades of research about leadership. And if you take that out of just the workplace realm and apply it to all parts of your life, you can create much better harmony and satisfaction in all the different parts. So the idea is to teach people how to use those leadership skills, not just at work, but in all parts of life. And especially to do that for working parents. And what we found is that even just the simple reframing of the experience of working parenthood as a leadership challenge, it was really motivating and inspiring to people who felt pretty stuck, right? They felt stuck by all the job demands, by the family demands. And it's really easy to feel like working parenthood is happening to you and you're just running on the treadmill trying to keep up. And by reframing this as leadership, People could use a lot of the knowledge that they already had about what good leadership
0: should look like and just apply it in new ways. And that was really exciting. And how how do you help people reframe? Because that's one of the things. In fact, this was my lecture this week at uh, the University of Denver. I teach a course called uh, Leading leading change and building agile organizations, but it's about personal change also and breaking habits Mm -hmm. and the stories that we, the stories we tell ourselves in our heads about things. So how do you help people accomplish that reframing of thinking about parenting in a different way?
1: Right. So it takes work, right? And I remind people always that, you know, I have a PhD in this. I've been studying this for half my life and I don't have it all figured out. So, you know, this is a practice and something that you do over and over again. It's not like you find work-life balance and then you're done right. and you just keep homeostasis, right? What we're really learning is a set of skills that you can use over and over again to adjust to the environment that you're in. And just as you were talking about these these ways of thinking, I often talk with people about the shoulds. Mm that are in their heads. So I should be the best employee, I should get all my work done, I should make all of the meals home cooked, I should, you know, keep everything clean without having to hire a housekeeper. And to take a step back and recognize that you are not your shoulds, and that you can sort of examine them with curiosity and with compassion to say, okay, which of these are really aligned with my values, and what I care about, and which of them are things that I could potentially let go of, and start to see things differently. So, you know, just like in any type of leadership development, you want to gain that self-awareness as a first step. That's a lot of what I do with people is just sort of having them recognize that, the way that they've been doing things isn't the way they have to keep doing things. And the assumptions that they've made aren't assumptions that they necessarily have to keep uh, going as they evolve as working parents. Oh
0: my gosh. So this is one of my slides and discussions in my book that somehow we've decided that we all need to be Heidi Klum and Martha Stewart and Bill Gates all wrapped into one all the time. I mean, we set these high expectations for ourselves That and that are just not doable. I go back to Stephen Covey and the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is such a, it's an oldie, but a goodie because he talks about your different roles in life, your role as a mom, your role as a wife, your role as a president of a company, your role as a professor, and being able to define goals and expectations in each of those roles that are realistic. And um, how, how do you help people with some tactical advice to do that? Because it is so hard to... To to, you know, not think. Oh my gosh, I've got a all the all the kids' snacks have to be homemade. You know, I got over that. I can buy them in the store, right? Yeah.
1: So I think, you know, by challenging those shoulds, right, you can look at them and say, okay, is this a should that's personally meaningful, or could maybe I let it go or redefine it. One of the things that we talk about a lot that I like to bring up is this idea um, from entrepreneurship of a minimally viable product, mm-hmm. right? What's, and so in, rather than thinking I have to put my best effort into everything, right. what is the minimally viable product that I can put into this aspect of my career or this aspect of my parenting so that I can invest more energy and more time in the spots where it really matters, Mm -hmm. right? So the idea isn't just to half-ass everything, Right, it's to figure out where your best attention and effort is needed and to streamline or let go of some of the other stuff.
0: Which is what you would actually do as a leader. I mean, as as anybody in work would do, you know, you have projects where, you know, you have to put 130% into it and other things where it's like, okay, 80% is good enough. We're juggling all those priorities at work. And I love it that you're Taking that thinking about work and how we how we apply it to um, parenting, I think I think the other thing I really admire about you, Alyssa, and why I wrote my book is that I found people weren't talking about it. And when you watch my TEDx, it's about changing the conversation. And the reason that I originally wrote my book was for a girlfriend. So she came to me when my kids were young, and she was having her first. And she said, oh, my gosh, you have it all together. You travel every week and, you know, this and that. And how do I how do I do this like you? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's a facade. Like I am one (laughs) sick nanny day away from disaster. You know, that image we have of the duck smooth on the top and madly paddling underneath. And so I wrote the first draft of the book just for her. Just for her to try and give her some advice but i realized that everybody might be looking at everybody thinking we have it all together and not really having the conversations about how hard it is to keep all these different aspects of your life afloat
1: absolutely and when i talk to people about experimenting with new ways of doing things one of the key messages that i always want to impart is that you can try a new way and it can be a total disaster And you should pat yourself on the back because you've just tried an experiment and whether or not it was successful, you've become the kind of person who tries new things. And, you know, that is really a leadership skill is being willing to try and iterate and reflect and grow and change. Whereas normally I think, and and I relate to this myself, we want to figure out the perfect solution and then implement it and expect the exact perfect results. And I use that word perfect, because I think that's, you know, how many of us are talking to ourselves, either consciously or unconsciously. And then if it doesn't work out, we feel bad about ourselves, as opposed to saying, oh, that was just an experiment that I tried that didn't work. Okay, let's move on. Let's, uh, you know, acknowledge that and move on. And I think the other thing that I really try to bring into my work and into my speaking is feeling like we're all in this together and we're all going to screw up and embracing our vulnerability and sharing it with other people is really a leadership skill as well. That pretending like we have all of our ducks in a row or like we have everything figured out doesn't do ourselves a, a service. And that actually opening up about our struggles and our challenges is a gift that we can give to other people and inviting them to help us and support us is a gift. So, you know, reframing that need to create this perfect image uh, is a really powerful leadership skill. And i I want leaders in my organization and in my community who are willing to be vulnerable. So, you know, role modeling that myself is a big part of my approach.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, this music to my ears. I, I use these podcasts with my students just to show them that it's not crazy Dr. G that just has some of these ideas about leadership. Mm-hmm. And and studying leadership in my PhD, this concept of humility, of the fact that I don't have all the answers, that I'm that I'm a still work in progress and um, working to figure things out, I think, and being able to show that vulnerability it would be an amazing world if everybody embraced those principles that you're talking about. I, I agree. What, what are a couple of other nuggets out of the book that you'd love to share?
1: So one of the things that we do in the book that I found really interesting is we ask an individual, the person who's reading to think about the four domains of their life, um, career, career, family, community, and then self, which is the internal world, and to take a snapshot of how things are going. How important is each domain to you? How much of your attention and time and energy are you giving? And how satisfied are you? And what we then do is ask them if they have a partner to imagine what they would say about their partner's four-way view, how their partner's spending time and energy and attention in all of the different domains. And when they compare notes, it's this really fascinating moment of discovery where I think my partner's spending 70% of their time on their work and they think they're only spending 40, right? What are we, how are we misunderstanding one another? Or I think my partner's super satisfied with their physical and mental health. And it turns out they're not really feeling so great about themselves. So doing this sort of how I see you versus how you see you um, activity, we do it all the time in, in organizations with things like 360 degree leadership feedback assessments, um, but we don't often do it in the other parts of our lives and we're, where we're really sort of challenging our assumptions about the people around us, so I always think that that's a really enlightening opportunity to to learn more about the people that you think you know so well, and that you can even do similar things with your kids. Ask them, what are your values? What do you care about? What's going well? What's not? What's getting your attention? And just opening the door to these conversations and giving people some guidance in how to have them is surprisingly powerful, because... One thing that we hear over and over again from people is that they realize that they need to be having these conversations, but they don't necessarily have the bandwidth to figure out what to ask, what to talk about. So the fact that in the book we lay it out like an exercise, you do this, then you talk about this, then you read this, right, it takes Uh, one of the barriers to entry away from people who know that they should be having conversations with the people that they care about, but are just too overwhelmed to undertake it. So that was a really fun um, activity and an insight that came out of it.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's the single, I mean, there's one great important reason to buy this book. And it's interesting, my kids are uh, I call them kids. That, what do you call your kids when they get older? Because they're not kids anymore, but they're still They're my still kids. your kids, they're I guess? I kids. don't know. Yeah, they're 24 and 25. And one of the things that I really love, and it's been, I mean, it's been challenging to not see my kids for a year and a half, but we're on the phone, on Zoom all the time, is to be developing this adult relationship and having these kinds of conversations in an entirely different way. And uh, I think that sounds like a great exercise to give people um, specific tools to have these um, very, I mean, in a workplace, we would call them strategic conversations, but they are Mm -hmm. strategic about your life and how you're spending your time and what's important to you.
1: Yeah, it's been great to read about stories of people talking to their own parents, in new ways and in reestablishing those relationships and talking to their kids. One of the things that I expected during the pandemic is that I would have the moms and dads of young kids being the ones who are sort of clamoring for support the most and in the greatest crisis. And what I found is that the people with teenagers are really the ones who are coming to me and saying, um, I need help. I don't know what to do. We're not connecting. They're isolated. And, um, I don't have teenagers yet. My oldest is 11. So I try my best to give my expert advice um, based on the research, but I do think that there's this re re redefining of those relationships as they enter adulthood uh, that it could have its own book. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are books about this, but from a leadership perspective, there could be plenty more to say.
0: Yeah. So you've, you've been in a pandemic now for over a year with, with two kids. Two, two kids, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what have been your greatest learnings that that maybe af, you know post book, yes. and then po- you know through a pandemic that you've learned personally about all of this?
1: Oh, that's that's such a good question. I think I've really learned about how to identify what they really need from me in a given moment and how that changes mm-hmm. over time. And, you know, at the start of the pandemic, I was, I felt like, you know, a logistics and operations manager organizing their zoom meetings and getting everybody to the right spot on time and making sure that they, you know, were available and that their technology worked. And, you know, I i quickly realized that was not my, parenting passion, right? That's not why I became a parent, but it was necessary in that moment. And as they got more and more confident managing their own remote school, sort of shifting where I gave my attention and focusing more on quality and what can we do to connect and how do we shut off the technology and be together and and being, uh, you know, find ways to have our other needs met because, you know, they're going through their own social and emotional challenges being isolated at home. And, you know, in many cases, I felt like I was also filling the role of their friends, you know, at times when they weren't connecting with other people. So being open to shifting how I engage with them, I think has been a big takeaway for me and that just like I go through different seasons of my life, they're they're going through different seasons with different needs and quickly so being you know trying to be more agile in in my parenting approach rather than thinking about I have to figure out one thing and then stick with it to ride mm-hmm. out the pandemic has been huge.
0: Mm-hmm. That I mean that's such great advice whether you're a parent or a leader. I would just take everything that you just said and it's exactly the same in how we're trying to lead people and deal with their um, different needs through. I'm, I'm sitting here in Melbourne, Australia, and it's just about to be announced that we're going into our fourth lockdown. Wow. Um, yeah. So one of them was 140 days long. And so, oh you know, le- leading employees through um, a, an experience like that and the variety of different needs and the different needs that different people have. I'm sure you're, both you're if your kids are like mine they're very different and so mm-hmm. it's also not a one one approach fits all which is what I tell my my leadership clients and my leadership students you know it's that individual needs of each person that can make it so challenging because you're trying something with one that's working and it's working great and you try that with another person it's like no that was a disaster um and I'm I'm sure probably you've had those situations with your kids too
1: Absolutely and trying to really acknowledge the challenges of being a kid right now, because it's real easy for me to f- talk about how hard it is to be a working mom in a pandemic. Um, but recognizing that it's really hard to be a kid in a pandemic too, uh, and celebrating them for being resilient, uh, and acknowledging how hard it can be ha- has been a great tool, I think, as well. Same thing with employees coming back into the workplace, at least in the U.S. People are starting to come back into the offices more and more. And we have to recognize that people have been through a lot of trauma and a lot of stress over the last year. And we don't get to just go back to business as usual, yeah, or we shouldn't.
0: I hope one of the silver linings out of all of this is I have seen more of an embracing of vulnerability, more Seeing people in their homes, seeing people bringing their whole selves to work and having compassion and empathy. I think our compassion and empathy meters are hopefully pegged out through this pandemic and maybe that's one of the one of the silver linings. So Alyssa, I could talk to you for hours about this topic. I can <laughs> Me I'm, just, too. <laughs> I'm so fascinated that you had the foresight to start thinking about this. Uh, of course I'm an engineer, so I was worried about engineering things, right? Not not necessarily engineering my family, which I should have been thinking about. Um, before it hit me in the face. But as we wrap up, what what final tip do you have for our listeners out there that are leaders, parents, um, trying to figure this whole total being effectiveness out?
1: Yeah, I think the one, if I had to just pick sort of one activity or one skill that I think everybody, regardless of whether they're parents or not, should really focus on is getting really clear about what your core values are. And that's not that innovative in a leadership development sense, but for the rest of our lives, most of us just kind of assume that we know what matters most. It's like, oh, I care about my family, I care about my career, I care about my health. But to really get specific about what my values are, whether it's having fun with my family or feeling a sense of closeness with my family or, um, you know, sharing my faith with my family, getting really specific about what those values are, it starts to allow you to see possibilities for how you live your life that Wouldn't have been obvious otherwise, because you can start to look at how do you incorporate those values into your day to day life. And it gives you a language to communicate with kids and partner and coworkers that's not just like, why didn't you pick up your shoes? Or, you know, why is this report late? So that's sort of my foundational piece of work that I think everybody should do. And in fact, I make pretty much every student that I teach do that work because it's such an essential leadership skill. Uh, and it's easily overlooked.
0: Mm. Such great advice, Alyssa. I'm incredibly grateful to you for joining us on the greatness podcast today and i would highly recommend your book parents who lead um, best of luck with your future students and i and I, I think there is another book probably in your future a book or two <laughs> i I'll think look- i've
1: got to recover from the last year or so <laughs> and then maybe i will uh start writing some new stuff again
0: there you go thank you so much for joining us
1: well take care thank you
0: interested in hearing more visit us at greatnessconsulting.com. Thank you.